Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Wondering where to start? Do you have questions about mortgage and real estate and need honest, accurate answers? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Educated Home Buyer with expert real estate broker, Jeb Smith, and certified mortgage consultant, Josh Lewis, where we discuss everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Welcome back to The Educated Home Buyer, where we teach you everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership and financing. Josh and I's goal here is to help you as a first-time home buyer enter this crazy housing market. And one of the key drivers of this housing market over the last 18 months to two years has been interest rates. So in today's video, we're going to take a step back and talk about interest rates in more detail. Now, while Josh and I can't predict the future of interest rates, we're going to talk about you know what's driving rates, where we see them going, just, you know, some of the, the the things that you don't hear when when you know reading the headlines or reading in news articles, we're going to dive deep into interest rates today to help you become the educated home buyer. Josh, welcome back to the show. No, uh, it's a good it's a good topic for the two of us to discuss. I mean, as you're well aware, um, once we get into the fourth quarter of the year, people start asking. Um, start putting their plans on hold into the new year and start asking, what do you think next year brings? So we addressed this question a bunch uh, towards the end of last year. <laughs> and in terms of every what, week, what multiple was times a week the projection for what was most likely to happen? Um, our opinions, most of the experts that we follow, um, highly paid, uh, highly regarded experts um, thought, you know, maybe as high as 4%, but most likely we would stay in uh, with a three handle throughout the, the course of the year. And that didn't even make it out of February. We were already into the low fours and we've just continued booking on through since then. So uh, why, why is this important? Why do people care? Well, there's there's three elements that lead to housing affordability, um, and, and that really, what does affordability mean? It's the percentage of a household income that goes towards their monthly payment. People don't really care about the price of the home. They care about the percentage of their household income that it takes to make the payment. So despite the fact that uh, prior to the pandemic and especially after the pandemic 2020 21 home prices double digit year over year growth mid teens to even higher depending on whose index you look at um, people were able to absorb that because rates had gone from early 2019 in the 4% range down to you know right in in as recent as last december december of 2021 right. we were still doing most loans in the 2.875 well, 2.99% range well let's talk about how important what you just said is because let's I mean let's give some real numbers here for context and then we can kind of dive deeper into it so I ran some numbers yesterday for a video I was shooting and if a $500,000 purchase price this time last year at a 2.75 rate versus where rates are today plus the appreciation gained over that year say that $500,000 property went to $600,000 and interest rates went from 2.75 to nearly 5% which is what we've seen in many cases Josh, it's 58% more expensive right now to for that same housing payment monthly. That That's a big jump for a lot of people. And that's why people are curious as to where is this going? 
So, so the, the two things, Jeb, that, that households and homeowners and potential home buyers can look at uh, of the three legs of affordability that are easy to see, home prices. We have 57 right. different indexes. Everyone has a projection or a monthly figure that comes out probably once a week. We also have interest rates. We have reports all over in terms of, of what's happening with interest rates, whether it's bank rate, um, Freddie Mac primary mortgage market survey. Those are, are right in front of your face all the time. The one that's not as obvious is household income. Income. So for those that are employed, professionals, those with higher levels of education, we've seen five to seven percent increases in income over the last two years. So income, you know, pre-pandemic to now is, is 10 to 12 percent higher for most households, but that doesn't even come close to keeping pace with 35% on, on home prices and then you know a 50% increase in interest rates leading to the numbers that, that you're seeing in terms of, of affordability. So that's why interest rates are important. And when people are looking at the market and saying, what comes next, where do we go from here, both in terms of home prices and affordability, uh, whether you can can do it or not in terms of entering the, the housing market, or um, if we have a homeowner thinking of selling and moving up, moving down, moving out of state, wherever they want to go, unless they're going to net enough from the sale of their home to pay cash for the next property, they're also looking at this going, how does the interest rate on my new loan compare to my wonderful 2020, 2021 refinance or purchase interest rate? No. And one thing you said there is interesting. I mean, you know, wages increasing five, seven percent, 10 percent, whatever, over the last two years. A lot of times we get people commenting saying, you know, wages aren't keeping up with appreciation, which you just mentioned. But, you know, five to seven percent seems I mean, that's a that's a pretty good amount in, in wage growth over the last two years. Now, the people that I feel like are the most affected right there, Josh, are the people that are probably the the you know, that aren't seeing the five to 7% increases possibly, right? I mean, because a lot of people comment on my video, you know, videos and in different platforms saying, well, I haven't seen that, that sort of wage growth or appreciation of my wages. You know, where is this happening? Like who's affording these properties? And I think that's, it, it's a difficult thing to nail down. Um, and it's, it, you know, the one thing that's happened during the pandemic is, is that, that disparity in wealth, I feel like it, it, the, the gap is widened a little bit, right? So the people that were kind of at the bottom, if you will, were probably the people most affected in many ways throughout the pandemic and probably the people that haven't necessarily, I mean, is it fair to say that they probably haven't seen the wage growth that many other in the, you know, in the mid to, to higher tier um, income brackets have seen? Well, I don't know that that's necessarily true. If you look, but just look at how absurd this would be when I say this look at in in california when we go into fast food establishments and you see now hiring um 17 dollars an hour fair. now yeah. hiring 19 dollars an hour that's up from like 10 or 12 dollars an hour just a few years ago does that mean that that person can can go buy a home no so i'm um, great it's a lot more than what it was uh but it's not putting you in position to be able to afford a home and i see a lot of, of folks we do loans throughout california so i have people in the central valley that they don't make a hundred thousand dollars a year and for the most part my folks that were 22 23 an hour people they're now 25 26 an hour people and that's a nice 15 20 increase but again when the homes have gone up 30 percent when rates are up 50 percent and what was the percentage in increase in the payment just over the last year for that property Jeff? i mean based on the numbers that i, I was talking about, it was 58 percent okay you know so it's, so it's, it's 
it's a big difference. And, and so the, the wages have not so far kept pace. Um, that doesn't mean that we have a correction coming. It doesn't mean that there's a crash on the horizon. It means that you're starting to see, um, you know, yellow lights flashing and saying, hey, this, this can't continue in this direction forever. There are strong reasons um, based off of supply and demand, demographics, that I don't know how we get a supply demand balance that, that le even levels prices, much less them going down. But for the purpose of today's discussion, discussion we're going to look at interest rates what's pushed them higher, um, what's likely to come next, and then how that impacts housing supply and housing prices going forward. Because if you're, if you're here wanting to become the educated home buyer, uh, you're in the market and interested and want to know what that, that impacts on you. So I just kind of want to start with a couple of things. What, what is interest? I mean, forget interest rates. What is interest? Interest is basically the profit that a lender requires when they make a loan. So what determines what their interest rate is? Well, how much desired profit they have. So if you're the only lender that lends on a certain type of asset, you can have a really high margin. In mortgages, there's lots of lenders that make those. So the margin is actually fairly low. So the other thing you have there is a risk premium. Um, a borrower with a 500 credit score has to pay a higher interest rate than a borrower with an 800 credit score. For the context of this discussion, it doesn't much matter. We're talking about um, what are the, the base underlying interest rates that the lenders have to add their profit margin to that gives them a return. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you got have good credit or bad credit. When, when interest rates move, it's going to move for essentially everyone. Absolutely. And, right. and the moves are have been pretty much equivalent somewhere between a percent and a half to two percent across the board for any loan type maybe jumbos have have been a little bit better um, but for the most part it's pretty consistent across the board because lenders have a margin that they want to make and they're looking at here's my margin here's what the money costs us and that's largely some of the underlying rates that we see the federal funds rate um, it's tied closely to, to treasury rates in terms of how they move those don't actually dictate um, what lenders are looking at but it's kind of telling you what the cost of money is is in the market when it's tied up for a specific period of time. So let's look at the biggest risk is, so you have you have two, two primary risks when you make a mortgage, default risk, which is the risk that they don't pay you back, and then inflation risk, meaning you loan the borrower money at a rate that is below inflation. So you're getting a return on your money if they make the payments, but it doesn't keep pace with inflation. So the dollars you're getting back are worth less than the dollars you loaned out. And that's the problem that we're seeing right now. So what has led to this change in inflation that we've seen decreasing inflation basically from the end of the 70s, early 80s forward? What has caused, what has changed the outlook? What has made inflation go up? So let's just take a, a quick look back at recent history. Early, 2020, uh, early 2020, COVID breaks out. Um, no one knows what's going on. No one knows if half of us are going to die, if we're ever going to get to leave our homes again, what work looks like. So the government jumped in with shock and awe and stimulated the heck out of the economy. So we had three different rounds of stimulus in the form of actual checks going out to consumers. So April of 2020, we got $1,200. Uh, December of 2020, January 2021, depending on when your check came, another $600. And March of 2021, $1,400. So you go, well, it doesn't sound like a lot of money. But if we look at the personal savings rate, because this wasn't targeted, this didn't right. say, hey, all of you hospitality workers, all of you restaurant workers who can't work at all, let's give you $3,000 a month. 
we gave everybody $1,400, $1,200, $600. And what you see from the personal savings rate for those months, we saw a big spike. So personal savings in April of 2020, 33.8% uh, relative to what's normally 7%. So a 26% increase. Then the second round of stimulus was 19.9%. And the third round was 26.6%. So you look at that and say, hey, we gave money to everyone that they can't go anywhere and spend. And most of them don't need it because they're still working from home. That's not to say that there weren't people that absolutely needed it and probably needed more. We just didn't target that. So what do you have? Um, then we, on top of that, we have the quantitative easing. The government steps in and they made right. um, bought a massive amount of treasury securities and mortgage bonds in the first two months. And then after that, it settled out to about 80 billion a month of treasuries and 40 billion a month of mortgage-backed securities. So they're pushing interest rates down so that anything that you need to finance is really cheap. So if you owned a home and wanted to refinance, if you wanted to buy a home, the rates were ultra low. So it led to some additional buying and additional demand. If you're out in the car market, you got really low rates. Lots of people want, need a new car and supply chains just, just terrible in terms of getting chips to finish cars. So those were the things that we were seeing. Now, the Fed took a really reactive approach to, to removing that stimulus. As recently as, as November of last year, they're still buying $120 billion a month of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. You're like, why? At that point, the market had fully recovered. At that point, we were seeing high inflation reads all last year. And the Fed's approach was, this is transitory. It's going to go away. And they were correct. But that doesn't mean that you keep stimulating right. when you see high inflation. And they were, I should say, Jeb, they were partially correct because the, the, the wild card, the black swan that none of us saw is Russia invading Ukraine, which right when things we were starting to get better year over year numbers, you would have started to see CPI numbers, PCE numbers, which is the Fed's preferred gauge of inflation. You were starting to see those getting ready to normalize and come back down. Now we have massive supply chain issues for all of the things, whether it's wheat, whether it's neon gas, uh, whether it's natural gas and oil that come out of Russia and Ukraine. Now those things have spiked in prices. We had oil for a minute up to $130, million, uh, $130 a barrel. I know. I, I'm pretty sure about three days prior to uh, Russia inv invading Ukraine, I made a statement that said that this these would be the highest inflation numbers, you know, the, the highest inflation reading that we would see this year and then yeah. literally you know prove me wrong really quickly so um yeah so obviously a lot of a lot of factors playing in there and one thing you said that was important right people received stimulus money were sitting at home weren't able to spend it and then so that takes us into you know 2021 if you will when things started to open up people did have additional money people are out spending going to restaurants doing different things which obviously is is driving those inflation numbers up and that's part of the problem but additionally a lot of those buyers that would have been buyers in 2020 waited they waited to purchase until 2021 for many reasons right because you know they find out if they could work from home permanently or find out you know how the virus was going to impact them their family all of these different factors that just delayed buying in 2020 uh, amongst not being able to leave your home, threw all of those buyers into 2021, low interest rates, additional money. That's part, part, not not the whole problem, part of the reason that we saw home prices, um, the number of home sales explode. I think, you know, that was the highest reading in, in home sales that we've seen historically um, in a year. So the number of home sales was up, you know, substantially because of, you know, measures put in place not allowing people to leave. 
No, I, absolutely. And you know, one of the things, Jeb, looking back, sort of the working theory the first quarter of last year is 2020 threw people off. They had plans to buy. Well, COVID happens, so basically Q, late Q1, early Q2, all the way through the summer months, what's normally our summer buying season, those people kind of just took a step back. But by summer, the market started heating up. And normally what we see is in the fall, the market cools off. But all those people that weren't able to buy in the first half of the year start coming into the market. And we never saw anything cool off in 2020 or 21, largely because rates stayed low. Those people still had their, their life needs, whether they're getting married, whether they had a kid, whether they graduated college or got a job promotion, whatever it is, said, I need a home, a new home, a bigger home, a different home. Everyone's out buying. So it almost felt like we were, were taking a year and a half's worth of, of demand and pushing it into one quarter's worth of supply in the first quarter of 2021. And it did ease up a little bit throughout the rest of the year. And then here we are back in, in 22, and it makes 21 look like we had a lot of supply left. So, I mean, we're talking today in the context of interest right. rates, and interest rates well, played a small role uh, in terms of increasing the demand. And now we're on the flip side of it saying, is, are the higher interest rates, the higher payment, lower affordability, in, in addition with those higher prices, what is that going to do to demand? And so far, we're not seeing, um, I would say we're seeing a decrease in demand, but nowhere near enough to bring some type of balance. No, agreed. And, and I mean, we've seen interest rates rise. We, we started there. We talked about inflation. We've talked about the Fed putting money in. Before we talk about, say, the future of rates, let's let's take a step back here and talk historically interest rates because obviously you know i i've been doing this nearly 20 years in some form or fashion and you know the highest rates i think i've seen personally are eight somewhere in the eight percent range but you know if you mention you know uh, a three four five percent interest rate to anyone that's older than like 50 you know the common answer is it's historically those are still really good interest rates so which doesn't mean anything to people that are actually out there buying at the moment, you know, I mean, for the most part, right. Everybody is, it's, it's, you know, um, it's all relative to where you are in your situation, but let's go back and just decades and, and just talk about where rates were. And then maybe talk about, you know, before we talk about future, maybe talk about what we've seen when the fed has started to do what they've been doing now, Josh. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to the 70s, and it's funny, you're like, the 70s don't seem like that long ago. I was born in 1973. I'm older and wiser than Jeb. So born in 1973. Um, but I, I had no idea about interest rates or the economy at that time. So anyone to have been aware of it was born in like 1950 for you to have been paying attention. So those folks are 70, 71, 72 now. So for the most part, people in, in our market who are looking to buy or finance a home, have no recollection of this. So in the 1970s, uh, for the entire decade, mortgage rates averaged 8.9%. Got even worse in the 80s. It averaged 12.7%. That was when Paul Volcker and the Fed were trying to crush the inflation that got a toehold in the 70s. Right. So since that time, since 1982-83, we've seen a 40-year downtrend in interest rates. So what does that look like? In the 90s, we averaged 8.1%. In the, the aughts, we averaged 6.3%. And then the, the 10s said, hey, hold my beer. We took it all the way down to 4.1% on the average for a decade. And then so far in the 2020s, it's 3.1%. We're going to be adding some hot numbers into a relatively short number of months here soon. So that's probably going to be in the high threes here by the end of the year. But it shows you what, when we talk about a 40-year downtrend in interest rates, what it looks like and why it means that someone who's 
24 was born in 1998 to them you know anything above five percent is a really high interest rate if someone's 35 again by the time you get into the age of noticing this stuff anything over four and a half percent is a high interest rate even though historically it's been good and and kind of jeb where i i transition to from there is what is what is the expectation moving forward? And this is a murky one. So for us, we don't have a crystal ball. The closest thing that we had to a crystal ball was that 40-year downtrend or down channel in interest rates. Meaning if we showed you a chart of mortgage rates, if we showed you, showed you a chart of a 10-year treasury securities for 40 years, it's not that rates only went down, it's that they stayed in a defined channel. So when they went down, they always went down to a new lower low. And when they went up, they went to a lower high. They never went up to the last peak. Right. We're at a really curious part right now that we're at the top of that channel and threatening to, to break a 40-year down channel that had never been breached. So the question then becomes, are we entering a new era? Has something changed? Um, if you had asked me three, four months ago, I would say no, that there are structural things in play, primarily the impacts, the long-term deflationary impacts of technology, the deflationary impacts of demographics, meaning we have a lower birth rate, so we have a slower growth of our population and we have an aging population. So the percentage of our population, the size of our population that is in the productive workforce has decreased. That's also deflationary. And the big one, our government has borrowed just spectacular sums of money what? over the last 22 years. You and are we, not telling the truth. You've heard me say the number about <laughs> eight million billion times now. But what what we had we had seven trillion a seven trillion dollar federal debt when Obama came into office, and today we're looking we're going to be tearing down, yeah, and thirty two thirty three something like that, yeah. <clears throat> and Crazy. and and that you know it's funny we we get people that whether they're far left far right center left center right they like to tell us about their favorite brand of politician and they say hey listen. We've got every color of politician for the last 22 years has said yes anytime we asked uh, about spending money. And some of that was was unexpected, unforeseen, and justified. A lot of this COVID stimulus, three, four trillion of that is COVID stimulus. No one had any idea what was coming with that. But the impact of, of a massive federal debt, you know, in the 80s and, and early 90s, people said, well, this is inflationary. We have to pay for this um, in the future. Well, they were right about having to pay for all that debt at some point in the future. But what happens is you pay for it in slower growth over time. You can in inflate your way out of debt by making today's dollars that you borrowed worth less money. But that's not actually how it works. You slow growth down and then you end up paying those dollars back with more expensive dollars in the future. So deflation isn't the right word to use because deflation would mean we actually have negative inflation figures where we're talking about 40 year highs right now. And some of you listening may be saying these crazy people are talking about deflation or disinflation when we're at 40 year highs. Well, we've got two really uh, unexpected things that have either never happened in modern times or haven't happened in 40 to 50 years. One of those being a war involving one of uh, the major powers in the world and kind of economically involving a large portion of the rest of the world and then COVID. So hopefully those two things don't recur, but the inflation that we're seeing is when we say transitory, does that mean it's one year? Does it mean it's three years? I, I don't know what the number is. It can hang with us for a while, 
So these rates can remain elevated, but I also right. don't think there's been a long-term change in, in the longer-term trend to lower interest rates. Well, we, we might have touched on this in another podcast, Josh, and, and, and we might be getting a little deep for some people out there that, that you know, just want to hear the direction of interest rates. But before we go there, I think answering the question of you mentioned Volcker a moment ago when we were talking about, you know, the late 70s and trying to or 80s rather and trying to bring inflation down. Um you know, by raising the Fed funds rate and, and some other things. And, and since then, we've had, what, four Fed shares, you know, basically from the 70s that have had, you know, to deal with, you know, inflation that's been um, elevated, if you will. So historically speaking, let's just quick recap of what's happened every single time we've had these inflation numbers. The Fed's come in, raised the Fed funds rate, brought inflation down. So when inflation numbers come down, typically, what do we see interest rates do? When inflation comes down, rates are absolutely going to come down. But what generally causes that? So in the context of our current situation, the Fed brought way too much stimulus in and left it too late to the, the COVID situation. Just started to get religion here at the first part of the year and pull it all away. And we went from, they met just, was it two weeks ago, Jeb? I think we're two weeks ago tomorrow. And they only raised a quarter of a percent yeah. in the Six, interim. The 16th. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So in the interim, 13 days ago, in the interim, uh, Chair Powell comes out and says, <laughs> we're likely to raise a half percent at each of the next was, two meetings. It was like a like, week. It was a week later. Dude, what it's did you crazy. not know a week ago that you should have you should have jacked at a half like uh, yeah. a, a week ago? So they're going to yeah. do a half. They're going to uh, do a half again after that. And again, if you've been watching the projections, whether it's B of A, JP Morgan Chase, they're they're like they're having a game of one upsmanship of who well, can come up with the most absurd number of how many times well, the Fed's going to hike and where the Fed funds rate is going to end up at the end of the year. But, you know. 275 was was one of the numbers from from zero at the beginning of the year. That's an astronomical number. And you would have to believe that our economy is so rock solid that it could withstand that type of, of, of slamming on the brakes. I mean, and that's the equivalent. Like, let's say you're driving in your car and you are going a little bit too fast. Speed limit's 45. You're going about 60. And you're like, ah, I don't need to stop. I think that light's going to stay green. And it goes yellow. And at the last minute you go, oh, hey, that, that's super yellow and it's going to turn red. And you slam the brakes on really hard and your soda spills and your kids cry and all that stuff. It's not a crash. <laughs> it's not a crash, but it's a painful well, stop. And it didn't have to be that way. Well, here's the thing. I mean, you know, let's let's talk about that briefly here, because, you know, th there's so much volatility in the market. Part of the reason we've seen interest rates go so crazy is because of the lack of certainty in what the Fed was going to do. And so I think, you know, Powell came out and said, let's give the, the market a little bit of what they want, give them some certainty. And so he opens his mouth, what, two weeks prior to the Fed meeting. So say early March, it might've even been late February at the time and says, essentially, we're going to raise it a quarter percent. So he gives certainty to the market. Good, great. And then comes out and does what he says, which was awesome. But a week later comes out and raises it. So by the time that that meeting came where he raised it a quarter, he already knew that he should have probably not, you know, either opened his mouth and or raised it a half percent, which is crazy. So it, it worked backwards in the case of trying to provide certainty to the market. I guess his hands were somewhat tied in the sense that if he did come out and raise it a half, what is the market? How does the market react to that? I think it probably would have been a positive thing. I mean, you and I yep. have discussed that, but. Does the stock market, I mean, there's so many different factors that play into 
you know, that read into what he's seeing and and the overreaction and the the you know the pendulum swings to the other side when they do something that you know it's like an emergency meeting, if you will. So, you know, obviously you and I have no idea, you know, the true direction, but you mentioned 2.75 from some of these clowns. Well, Citibank said three and a half, 3.75. So they said four half percent hikes this year and two next year. <laughs> yeah. I'm laughing because it, that seems, I mean, that's asinine, but hell I've been wrong in, in many, in, in many different factors this year. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say it can't happen. I'm just, I'm going to say it won't happen. Here's, here's what I always like to say to anyone. So we have had extraordinary times between COVID and then leading into the Russia situation, but let's look back to prior to that. The economy was growing. It was the longest expansion on record. It was the weakest expansion on record. So the economy wasn't sick. It wasn't failing. It was getting by. That's about all you can say. So now here we are two and a half years later. Why would anyone think that the economy has gotten appreciably better with all of the shocks due to COVID? Um, the the, the Russia-Ukraine situation doesn't impact us all that much here other than world oil supplies are tied in together and then food prices are somewhat tied together so it leads to a fear of inflation here uh, in the u.s and it may impact chips and things of that sort but for the most part it doesn't impact us but what of those things made our economy get better and stronger in that time so for you to believe that we can withstand the last time the fed tried to do this was in 2018 and mortgage rates got up to almost five percent so we're a little bit higher than we were then and pretty quickly, prior to COVID, we were in the high threes for the best qualified borrowers. So we dropped a full percent over the course of a year as the Fed started cutting prior to COVID. So I don't think anything in the underlying scenario has changed. So if we say, where are we at in terms of increasing interest rates? I don't know that we've seen the worst. You know, we've, you and I have talked regularly. We've seen a couple of technical levels that we say, I hope this holds and that would be the worst of it. And not that rates are going to rapidly reverse course and get better, but they would stay within a range sort of around where we're at. That, you know, we, we had something around 4%, that gave way. We had something around 4.5%, that gave way. And one of the best analysts that I watch says, there's a good chance that the 10-year treasury goes to, to 3%. And if that happens, we're going to see, based on current spreads between mortgage rates and the 10-year treasury, that puts us at about 5.5%. So I think 5.5% is our worst case. I think that does slow the housing market some. I don't know that it stops appreciation. I mean, it's, it's just going to minimize uh, appreciation going forward. But what all this is going to happen uh, again, Fed's coming in too late, putting on the brakes too hard, and we're going to slow the economy to a stop, and they're going to have to unwind some of it sooner rather than later. So when we talk about these things, they don't do this in, the, in a matter of months. The Fed is going to continue tightening through the rest of the year. That doesn't make mortgage rates go higher, but people have to be convinced that inflation is improving. So until we see um, on the monthly CPI and PCE figures coming out, and until we start seeing improvement, until we start seeing oil get cheaper, um, we're going to see elevated interest rates, and they could get at least a half percent higher from here. So if we talk about a range for the rest of the year, I would think you know four percent would be an absolute best case scenario, and worst case should be somewhere around five and a half. So let's check back, Jeb, in three, four, five, six months, and see how crazy that was. No, I, I mean, so, but. I agreed. I mean, throwing, giving ranges at, I mean, hell, we're in March right now. So giving a range for the entire years is somewhat crazy and difficult to do because again, we didn't see 
Russia, Ukraine happening. We didn't, there's just things that happen, right? I mean, hell in China right now, there, there's some lockdowns happening again with regards to the virus. And you just don't know how some of these things play out, right? We've talked in the past, part of the reason, I mean, obviously the Fed needs to come in at the moment and get aggressive on, on the Fed funds rate, but they also need to, to give themselves some ammunition with regards to, you know, if something bigger does happen in the future to have some, you know, ammo in the gun, if you will, to be able to, to help stimulate the economy, you know, if, if necessary. So, you know, you talked about rates likely going up. Um, let's talk about what, what does that look like? If I, if I'm a buyer right now and I'm looking to buy a property, let's just say currently talking about, you know, um, you know, should I lock, right? Should I lock a rate? Should I float a rate? I mean, you and I have the conversation, but what does the average buyer do in this environment? You lock a rate as soon as you have a property under contract. The risks are weighted um, much more in favor of rates continuing the upward trend than them decreasing in the terms of a 21 or a 30 or a 45 day escrow. And even in the context of a, a six month contract with a builder, uh, you know, normally the last few years we've had our, our people that are in escrow on new construction asking that question. I would say, absolutely not. Do not pay for a long-term lock until you think that rates are going to be going up and going up appreciably. And that's what we are seeing right now. So the thing I like to tell people is when you go to Vegas, are you the person that has to drop their, their bags at the bell stand and run to the blackjack table? Or are you the person who's trying to head to the buffet or head to a show or head over to Caesars and do some shopping? Most people go there for entertainment and we're, we're not, we're not gamblers. So unless you are a gambler by nature and you have some sort of insight that tells you rates are going to be lower in 30 days, um, you just lock, you just lock the interest rate. I mean, the reality is, let me say the reality. My strong belief is that if we flash forward three to five years, rates are going to be lower than they are today. So right now, if you're buying a property, if you need to take cash out of your property, you take your medicine with that loan and close it at today's rates. Don't pay points. Don't buy the rate down. And you're going to be looking at some point in the future, once this inflation is in the rearview mirror, to lower the interest rate. And you may never get back to a 275. Um, but if Let's... you get a three and a half relative to today's 4.75, you're going to be pretty thrilled. No, and we're pushing 35 minutes on this, but there's two, two things I want to ask. What has to be true, right, for, for interest rates to go down? You know, you, First, you mentioned three to four years out, like what needs to happen in the economy with inflation, with the world? I mean, hell, I don't know, house prices, what needs to happen in order for that to be true? The the number one thing is inflation. Right. Um, inflation has not been a concern for 40 years. And now all of a sudden people think the world has changed and it's turned upside down. And there are a couple of arguments I could make that would tell you that inflation may be higher than it has been um, for the next three to five years, but it should not be anywhere near where it is right now. So okay. um, once you start seeing month over month and year over year inflation figures improving, you'll see interest rates start to improve. And if we hit to a recession, that's, well, that's my re re yep. recessions are deflationary by nature. And the big one, you're probably your next question is, well, what about stagflation? Well, we've had it once ever in our entire uh, history uh, as a nation where we've had uh, the, the economy shrinking 
and inflation staying high. And there were some unique things about the period in the late 70s to the early 80s when that happened that are unlikely to recur. And there are some smart people that I've read extensively that believe we are headed towards stagflation. And I look at it and I go, you're just looking at a different picture than I am. I don't see that being a, a reality where we have a long period of slow growth with high inflation. I think inflation in the next 18 to 24 months is going to, to normalize. For the last 10 years, the Fed has been trying to stimulate inflation to get above 2% and unable to do it. Now we're saying they can't get it back down under 2%. I mean, it, I think we will be under 3% in the next 18 months, and maybe it never gets back down under 2 but it's not going to be in the 4.5, What did we see? 7.1 was the last, uh, last figure for CPI. Those are really yeah. big numbers. Right. So what I heard you say, I mean, because as of today, doing this podcast, the the two year and the 10 year are about to invert. Right. And and typically what happens when those two, the yield cur curve uh, inverts is two, within two years, you see a recession. Right. So we're 2022 now. I had to think about that. So within the next two years, we see some sort of recession likely. You mentioned deflationary with regards to interest rates. So does that mean, I mean, again, not holding you to this, just trying to get it out there so people can understand it. You think interest rates kind of move sideways or is that an actual pullback in in where you think rates go or, or can go? Uh, if, if you're asking me to plot out a chart. No, no, not at all. I'm like. just saying, yeah, you said three or so years, you think interest rates pull back. Do you think it's partly due to a recession that that, that happens? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. The yeah. recession takes care of the inflation problem. That's and then you, you see yeah. the underlying, you know, 15, 20 year history since the Great Recession of very slow growth and low inflation. Right. It's going no, to great. to end up back in that rut sooner rather than later. Does that mean this year? Absolutely not. But could it be late 23, early 24? Um, somewhere in that time frame, the the bigger dynamics at play will reassert themselves. No, I mean, yeah, it, it, there's a lot that can happen. I mean, there's a lot to talk about in this conversation. And maybe we do a part two of this where we get in more detail about it. Um, but, you know, here's what I would say. You know, last week we released a a live audio streaming of, of a, a YouTube live that we do each week. Um, it's on Wednesdays where you can go in and actually ask questions and we address them on air. It's a two hour deal. And what we started to do last week, because so many people were asking for it, is take that live audio and actually put it out here on the podcast so that you can listen to it versus having to watch it. Uh, so we're going to start doing that every week. It's going to post on Friday. And so if you have a, a more specific question about interest rates, maybe something we said today, go on the live, type it in, let us answer it, and then come back and and you know either listen to it there live on, on air or come back and listen to it on the podcast uh, but either way, we appreciate it. We appreciate the feedback you guys have been providing. It, it allows us to uh, to make better content and uh, better you know podcasts for you. So we appreciate you watching. We appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to the Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com/expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube and make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.